If you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 7. I have had about three titles for this sermon. I finally did settle on one, but I spent the first part of the week trying to lay hold of it, and it spent the second part of the week laying hold of me. And isn't that a wonderful experience with Scripture, that we endeavor after it, and then it catches us. We might think we're through with it, but it is not through with us. It's part of the living power and glory of the word itself. Before I read, just a little context. We live in a society that either is confused about sin or completely disregards things as sin. As we heard this morning, Satan loves to make sin a small matter and that we can easily repent when we desire in our society, often we find that there is a belittling of sin. There's no such thing as sin. It's a social convention. And yet God's word that has stood the test of time. And yet Christ establishes that this is not the case. And sometimes we may question that even as a believer, why is it that I find myself at times doubting and questioning? We are not strangers, are we, believers, to times that are dark in our own thinking our mental facilities seem dim and not able to grasp the parts of Scripture that are before us. Some of us even have seasons of life where there is a crushing weight upon us. And these things are not opposed to the Scriptures. In fact, we have found the Scriptures draw us through. The delight is, is that whatever season we are experiencing in our life, we have a high priest perfect for us. And so my title for this sermon is to look at that high priest, to meditate on five glories of our high priest. That is the title, five glories, and this is our communion meditation. He understands our weakness. He helps us. He saves us. He teaches us. He is a rock for us. He is a tower and a refuge. And at various times in life, we're standing on top of that tower and we're praising God for his goodness. Other times we're running to that tower for safety and protection, maybe from ourselves or from others. In this passage, we'll see that there is a great contrast between Christ in his divinity and man in his sinful humanity. There is a great contrast. One last word, the use of the and our. Many times this last week, as we look at these five glories of Christ... He is, for instance, take the first point, the permanent high priest. That speaks of its reality outside myself as an external reality. He is the permanent high priest. But the believer goes even farther. The believer is able to say, he is my high priest. He is our high priest. So all these points, I put the word our in front of the glory of Christ that we'll look at but I'll probably bounce between the and our because there's an external reality here which stands on its own regardless if I ascend to it or not. But the fact that our is that embracing with affection this glory of Christ. There is a reality and now that reality standing for us becomes ours and we embrace it and cherish it. We love it. And so I will have the our in front of each point. But there's a the that comes before the hour. Let us read Hebrews 7, starting at verse 23. 
The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do now ask for that aid of your Holy Spirit to see more deeply into these glories of our high priest, the reality of his glories, how they stand in our favor, how we are being conformed and how our world is changed by his presence, his high priesthood, his care for us. To see these things more deeply, we need your Holy Spirit and pray for him to be present with us. Teach us your word. We are our people ready to receive it. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you wanted a five-word sermon, it would be permanent, saving, conspicuous, sacrificed, and appointed. And of course, all these words are insufficient in themselves. Words are too small sometimes. There's a contrast with each of these words with Christ's reality and the history that came before. There's a contrast here between Christ's divinity and man's humanity. And there's a degree here. We say these words, but the degree to which they are found in Christ go further and deeper and more wondrously than we could imagine. So I have five points. The first point being our permanent high priest. This is verses 23 and 24. We often grow up thinking many are better than one. If I was going to move my house to another location, I would think many movers would be better than one. Social media, I think, is probably built on this concept that many having the same opinion is better than one. But is that true? What if all your furniture gets carried to another location that you don't know about and it's taken from you? Many was a lot worse than one. What if many fail in their endeavor and the one right person for the job was not there. And the sign of repeated failure is upon the Levitical priesthood. We see that in this verse, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death. In fact, there was a whole Levitical tribe tasked with supplying the many, many priests that had to be produced for temple life. We see that repetition in this case even evidences a failure to continue. It didn't fail in the fact that it pointed to Christ. It pointed to one to come. But because the priests met death, it was incomplete. You needed more priests. 
And that also continued to make the work something that would not continue. The many animals that were sacrificed were temporary in their nature. And so the office was plagued from the beginning. Office by the law had these failures and the repetition evidences these failures. But when we come to Christ, we see that we have a permanent high priest. This in itself is monumental. He stands in his office in such a way as to always be present. He is the one who continues that work. It continues now because he is present. He has this, as verse 16 earlier in the chapter tells us, Christ is this eternal high priest because he has an indestructible life. This is our Lord. This is the first glory we look at. And we can say, isn't it marvelous that there is a high priest who ever stands in his office, the sense of permanence, which in our day and age of microwaves and how often we move and how quickly laws change, we can lose that sense of permanence. But Christ is permanent. Christ is a rock we can continue to stand on. He is a permanent foundation that we can enjoy, that we can live by, that we can when we have troubles, we stand upon that foundation still. When the storms beat against our house, we have a permanent high priest. Secondly, we see our saving high priest. Verse 25, this is a consequence of the verses that came before. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And so the consequence of his permanence is that he has a complete saving work. It's more than just saving. It's a complete saving work. And you'll even find the author of Hebrews looks for words that can meet this comprehensive sense. You know, if there's an oil slick off the coast of Alaska and people go out there and they are saving birds, they're saving wildlife, they're endeavoring to do so. And it's a good act that they're seeking to do so, but they will not save all that are there. Some of those are going to die before they are saved. This is not the case with Christ. He saves to the uttermost. The scope of his salvation is complete for all his people. And the duration and completion of that salvation is full and complete. And the author of Hebrews is trying to grasp this by saying he is able to save to the uttermost. Here we see a savior that we are complete in him. We see that he is able to intercede for us in a complete way. And now we can add to that, he intercedes for us in a permanent way as well. He is interceding, and he is one who intercedes for us with a suffering-wrought compassion. He has suffered. He knows our lot. He is not unsympathetic to what you're facing. If you ever feel a restriction, I can't come to Christ and pray for this. We can turn that around by the truth of Scripture. Christ looks at us. He cares for us. If you remember last week's reading in Luke, that he looked upon the city and he wept for them. Oh, if you only knew the things that made for your peace. We see that he is sympathetic to believer. And we see to unbeliever as well, that he is desiring these things. If you only knew those things that made for peace. His triumphal entry is his coming in. He is the one of peace. But he has a suffering wrought compassion as our permanent intercessor. He also has an obedience demonstrated integrity. He learned through suffering. He was obedient. And so as he is near, as he is at God's right hand, the right hand of majesty, interceding for us, 
He does so with a sympathy and a love for us. And he does so on this stand of integrity because he has completed obedience uh, and it's been demonstrated in his life. He is a constant and effective saving high priest. He saves to the uttermost. He has announced his salvation to us that we would know of it. He is the founder of that salvation. He is the source of that salvation, the very ground of it. And so he is all things when it comes to being saved. His salvation is complete and eternal. The author of Hebrews, again, is looking for words. He uses the word forever. He uses the words for all time. Here he chose a word, and one commentary says, one word he was looking for says this. He uses a word for comprehensiveness in all respects, addressing completely every spiritual need. Okay, there's, the word saving is a big word when it's found in Christ. It is so full and complete, all respects. When we have a spiritual need, he knows how to meet that, every spiritual need. And so the, what sometimes we use the common word saving is a deep, multidimensional, completely uttermost comprehensive word that is used. And this is a glory of Christ, our saving high priest. Thirdly, you thought I was maybe a little, you thought there was a contrast between saving and the depth of saving. I think the contrast gets even bigger. Our third point is our conspicuous high priest. Verse 26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He is a suitable high priest. And again, you'll see he was indeed fitting. Some will say truly fitting. This has the idea of being a standout, just remarkable above all other types of conspicuous high priests. He stands out. He's truly fitting. Dennis Johnson says, the final evidence of the superiority of Jesus the Melchizedek-like priest over all the priests descended from Aaron is his absolute purity. Christ has an absolute purity. He is conspicuous in it. He is a truly fitting high priest. We see that this word is used in another place in Hebrews as well. Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting that he for whom and by all things exist in bringing many sons to glory would make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And so this is a conspicuous aspect. In fact, when we come to the table and we have these emblems, it is a picture of that suffering, isn't it? I wonder if the word truly fitting comes to mind, conspicuous, standout of our high priest comes to mind. Yes, when we remember him, we are remembering him in his conspicuous high priesthood. He is glorious in his qualities. As to his inward man, he is holy, being God. As to his outward uh, appearance, he is innocent. So when some uh, translations say blameless, this is external, no sin. Uh, right, requiring a sacrifice is even needed on the part of Christ. He is unstained. He is among sinners, but he is without sin from those sinners. Sin spreads but it doesn't spread to Christ. We see that he is separate from sinners. Again, this is the very same aspect. He shares our humanity, but he does not share our sin. 
And we see that he is exalted above the heavens. He who came from his throne and humbled himself to walk as a man is now exalted above the heavens at the right hand of majesty. He has the highest position possible. He who is made low has ascended. This is his truly fitting high priesthood, and it's truly fitting for us. When you reflect, who is he who represents me in heaven? Who is it that represents me in the eternal place of my soul? And to see this character, to see he stands on integrity. Anyone runs for office now? I've heard people say they will not run for office because people go through your past, they dig or make up something that will be a blemish and a crime against you. Not so with Christ. His character is perfect. He is conspicuous as our high priest. Fourthly, he is our unblemished sacrifice. Verse 27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. And so we see that the priests of the Levitical priesthood were sinful men sacrificing for sinful men. Repeated sacrifices themselves, as Kistemacher says, were a clear indication that these sacrifices could not cope with the enormity of sin. Sin, when we look at sin, it's always much bigger than we thought, isn't it? But here, even the old temple system could not cope ultimately with the enormity of sin. The priests needed sacrifice for their own sin, but not Christ. The repeated sacrifices in themselves evidenced a failure, but not Christ. Jesus, our sinless high priest, offers himself up once for all. He is our eternal and effective high priest. Again, Kistemacher says of him, God asked him to make the supreme sacrifice and thus atone for the sins of his people. And so once for all implies that while the Levitical system has failed, it has come to an end and Christ now stands permanently saving, truly fitting, unblemished sacrifice in our stead. Fifthly, and as I do the fifth point, I'm really, as the last point, talking about the beginning of all this. He is our appointed son. He was appointed by an oath. The law appoints those who are weak because all who are in sin are weak. All who sin are slaves to sin and their condemnation is inevitable. God appoints both priests by the law, but here is the distinction. He established his son by an oath. Let me again read the passage for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Man swears by God when he says, I intend to keep a vow. God swears by himself since none are greater. And so the oath and the appointment of his son is of the highest established authority. The Levitical priesthood is bound to the law, which could be violated and is halted time and again by death. 
Christ is not bound by the law, and he is not bound by death. He is appointed by an oath and has the power of an indestructible life. And so when we say he was appointed by oath, though this happened after the legal priesthood of the Levites, it actually refers to that which was before the end of the Levites, and we find that in Psalms. So this elevates, doesn't it, our sense of God's decree. I have my oath for the one that I will appoint. And when this priesthood ends, it's because it all pointed to him on whom it's carried out. We also see here that he is a son, reminding us of Hebrews chapter 1. The son's superiority to creation includes that he is superior over angels. He is eternal and not mortal. He is permanent and not temporary. He is sinless, not needing redemption. He is suffering and yet made perfect forever. This son is our high priest, and he saves us to the uttermost in a permanent way, in a fitting way, as an unblemished sacrifice. He is the appointed son. And so we have these five points that our high priest is permanent He is saving, he is conspicuous, he is sacrificed, and he is appointed. A couple points of meditation and application. Is Christ your high priest? This is a joy for the believer to answer, isn't it? As we think of those, what they faced, who do not have a high priest... We rejoice that we do. And if you find yourself today, maybe someone who has a lot of head knowledge, but no heart obedience, then the question stands before you. Is Christ your high priest? If you are not in Christ, run to him. And I can already hear the believer's voice saying, I run to him more now than ever, for he stands permanently. But if you are out of Christ, he doesn't stand permanently for you. He stands permanently against you. And with his character of integrity, his position at the right hand of God the Father, all that works against the believer. So there's every reason to run to him. That all his glories, these five glories that all impact the believer and his love for his Savior, the assurance of his soul, believer, unbeliever, run to such a high priest. Secondly, Are you a weak? Are you weak and yet genuinely calling out for Christ? Again, here is great encouragement. Know that the Savior has come for you. He will carry you upon his shoulders as he would carry a single lamb back to the flock. This is his nature. This is his history. This is his unfailing integrity to do so. Whatever the season of your soul, he is the indeed fitting high priest for you. Are you tempted by the world? Consider the experience of our truly fitting Savior. He was tempted also, but never sinned. Do you fear social pressure or maybe an illness? Know that the spotless lamb is a rock to stand on. And while worldly opinions are quicksand, to stand upon our Lord is to stand upon a rock. As we are an aging congregation, is death approaching? Know that your appointed high priest ever lives to intercede for you. And at no point are you beyond his embrace, his intercession, his high priestly role for you. Thirdly, 
If I leave you with any thought, it would be verse 25. Draw near to God through him. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And fourthly, as we come to the table of the Lord, think on the word fitting. Is he not a fitting priest? The scriptures tell us it was fitting that God should make the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering. And here is the picture of that suffering. Here we hold a picture in our hands. We can consider him more fully. He is fitting. And indeed, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest of absolute purity. And so we have a high priest that saves us to the uttermost. Let us remember him in this ordinance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this high priest. It seems as we grow and see more of your word, our vision is expanded. These truths drive deeper into our hearts. There is more there than we realize at first. And I'm sure that there are even more. Obviously, there are even more than five glories of our wonderful high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. These are just five. And yet he is infinite. He is compassionate. He is holy and just. How we thank you for a high priest like him. Help us but now by your spirit to remember him as we partake of this ordinance. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.